Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, you are very welcome to The Tonight Show. Ozempic, we examine the reality behind the so-called miracle weight loss drug and speak to one Irish user. Gary Lineker to return to Match of the Day after BBC's suspension. Andrew Brady will have the very latest from London. And later, Saturday Night Live comes under fire for offensive Irish Oscars joke. But did it offend you? How do you guys like your chances tonight? Uh, you know, that's the words and, you know, like... Uh... Take words of troops for where in your bay. Hey, me green, 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 cute, tarry, swiddle, toony, trees in it, <laughs> Wow, and they haven't even started drinking yet. As always, do join the conversation online. We'd love to hear your comments and your questions. It's hashtag tonight's VMTV. Ozempic is a once-weekly injectable medication formulated to help adults with type 2 diabetes manage their blood sugar. Although not officially licensed as a weight loss drug here, research suggests that people who take Ozempic may lose modest amounts of weight while on the medication. Delivered via an injection into the skin, the drug makes people feel fuller and more satisfied, so they eat less. But what are the dangers? Well, to discuss this further, I'm joined here in studio by GP and obesity medicine specialist, Dr. Michael Crotty, Minister of State for Mental Health, Mary Butler, presenter of The Hard Shoulder on News Talk here in Cudahy, and head of news at Tip FM, Sheila Naughton. And a little later, I'll be speaking to one user of the drug who has been self-prescribing. But I want to come to you first, um, Dr. Crotty. This is part of a group of drugs that are called GLP-1s. What exactly are they meant for and what do they do? So <clears throat> GLP-1 is a fullness hormone that's produced by our bowel when we eat. It communicates with the brain to make us feel full. So these medications were developed about 20 years ago. They act like this fullness hormone and it has beneficial effects on our body's production of insulin, our blood sugar regulation, and they were initially formulated for type 2 diabetes. Over time, more studies have shown that they're safe and effective treatments for people who are living with obesity because they can help regulate uh, appetite in the brain. And we know that people who live with obesity it's not because of a lack of willpower, it's not because of a lifestyle issue or lack of motivation. We know it's because of much more complicated mechanisms, including dysregulation of appetite in the brain, genetic predisposition, hyperactive reward pathways in the brain. It's, it's pretty much a, a neurological issue. So by taking this medication, people feel fuller quicker, they feel more satisfied by food for longer, so it addresses some of the underlying biology that has led them to struggle with obesity. OK, it's not licensed, though, specifically as a weight loss drug in Ireland at the moment. So semaglutide, which is the generic medication, has a licence under the brand name Wegovi to manage obesity in Europe 
uh, at the moment, but it isn't, hasn't been launched in Ireland and isn't physically available here yet. Ozempic is a medication licensed for diabetes. It is exactly the same molecule as Wegovy, but it is licensed and produced for type 2 diabetes. So if it's been prescribed for weight management in Ireland, it's been used off license, so for something that is not being produced for. There are other members of the GLP-1 family, uh, liraglutide, uh, that is a daily injectable medication that is licensed for weight management in Ireland. So under what circumstances would a person who is dealing with obesity, who is struggling with weight man management, be prescribed Ozempic? So if it's been used appropriately, it's been used for somebody who's living with obesity. And when we talk about living with obesity, we're not talking about a body mass index or a size. We're talking about excess weight that's negatively affecting somebody's health. So if our weight is having an effect on our psychological health and well-being, our physical functional health, our metabolic health, then this is a medical issue. If somebody's living in a bigger body but they don't have any impairment of health, they don't have obesity, they don't have a medical issue, uh, that is just a bigger person. So for somebody, if they, if they have the chronic disease of obesity, this can be used in conjunction with uh, other management strategies, medical nutrition therapy, psychological supports, physical activity, sleep hygiene, many other things mm. to help people regulate their weight because it treats the underlying biology. It's a biological treatment. In the same way as if I take an inhaler, it helps my airways open up and reduce mucus production. That helps my asthma. Uh, so that's uh, a safe and effective medication. This does a similar thing for weight. OK, but one of the things you say there is management. So mm. you're going to your GP, you're seeing your GP regularly. What happens if you're, if you're not doing that? What are the dangers and, and the potential side effects of this? So this is, this is a prescription medication. It needs to be used appropriately. <clears throat> if it's used for somebody who doesn't have obesity, if somebody uh, has a, a cultural desire for thinness, they want to lose weight, they may take this medication, but there are side effects, there's potential risks, there's costs. Uh, like you said, this is not like taking an antibiotic where we cure a problem. This is chronic disease management. This is long-term treatment. This is more like taking a blood pressure tablet or a cholesterol tablet. Mm. We manage the biology to improve people's health because really that's what it's about. It's about health. If somebody doesn't have an impairment of health, that's not who this medication is designed for. So I think there's a distinction between somebody who's living with a chronic disease of obesity, whose health is being affected, and they can gain health by managing their obesity versus somebody who wants to be thin which is a different issue. Uh, and that's not what these medications are designed for. You know, in, you'll read in the media, you'll read about, you know, the skinny jab, you know, Hollywood's worst kept secret, you know, uh, a quick fix. These are not a quick fix. These are prescription medications that need to be used by people who understand how they work, how to prescribe them, who can counsel people on the risks, the benefits, uh, who can assess somebody to see if that person should be treated with medication, uh, because this, this needs ongoing long-term support. Yeah, but you mentioned some of the benefits there. What are some of the risks mm. then? So uh, if somebody has a past history of pancreatitis, we don't give this medication. Uh, if somebody has gallstones, we're cautious because it can aggravate gallstones. In the studies, uh, about one in 100 people develop gallstones or issues with their gallbladder. Uh, between one and three per thousand people developed issues of pancreatitis. If somebody has a history themselves of a rare type of thyroid cancer, then they shouldn't use this medication. Much more commonly, we see nausea, uh, we can see constipation, heartburn, uh, and really the fact that, you know, most of the time those are temporary and transient uh, and they settle over time. But these medications work to regulate our biology while we're taking them. So if somebody takes them, it regulates the biology, okay. weight may come down and plateau, but if we stop the medication, weight will come back. OK, I want to speak to uh, Belinda, who has asked um, not to be uh, identified this evening, or Beverly, rather. Uh, Beverly, how did you get access to this drug yourself? 
Hi, Kira. Thanks for having me. Um, I did actually go to my doctor first off and ask for Wegovi, but um, obviously it's not available in Ireland. Um, and then I went and found out about Ozempic, asked my doctor for Ozempic. Again, you have to have diabetes. Um, so that wasn't prescribed for me. So I found another route to get it, which was um, a Spanish online doctor. Um, just went on there, logged on, paid my money for the consultation, which didn't take long at all, and was given the prescription. And why did you want to take this drug, Beverly? Why were you looking for it? Uh, be because I have uh, seven stone to lose. Seven, seven stone to lose. I've had um, weight. I've been dieting, I'd say, for I'm 47 now. I've been dieting for about 30 years, and nothing has ever worked long term for me. Um, so... I just said I would try Ozempic. And did you have any of the side effects that Dr. Crotty was talking about there? Yes, I did, yeah. yeah. Especially um, when I uh, started on it first, it was nausea, um, chronic diarrhea, um, constipation, and heartburn. But um, it does calm down after a while until you, you go up in your milligrams then. You would start on 0.25 for a month, work up to 0.50, and then, you know, as the months go on, you work your way up. Uh, have you no concerns about some of the risks that Dr. Crotty outlined there? Because I presume you're not able to take this, you know, under GP supervision at this point. I don't have any supervision from my GP, no. I, I've just taken myself. Um, I um, Obviously, I have concerns, um, but there's concerns with everything, isn't there? I'm... I'm I, I knew what the concern, what the concerns was. I knew what the common side effects were, and uh, I knew what the the lesser common side effects were as well. You know, like the pancreatitis and the kidney problems, and gallbladder problems, thyroid tumors, and stuff like that. But in the short term, it's like right now, my I just I just want to get rid of seven stone, and I think that. I just I just didn't have any other choice. My next step would have been going to Turkey, you know, or Lithuania for gastric bypass, which is what I didn't want to do. So, so this is the, the journey I took. And why do you why do you feel it's working? What impact is it having on, on your life? Um, so from the beginning, it took about three days to work. My in my appetite decreased sufficiently, like a lot. Um, I say I've been on it for six months. I took it six months ago. I came off it for a month because of um, short supply and I had chronic side effects as well, gastric side effects. I've lost three stone in those five months that I've taken it. And so I know you've... my mental health has improved. My physical, my physical health has improved, you know. How do you mean your mental health has improved? Well, if you're going around in your seven stone heavier than you actually should be and you have pains and aches in your joints and you're finding it hard to breathe and, you know, you're you don't want to go outside because you don't have clothes to fit yet. And then all of a sudden you take this drug, you inject it into your stomach and your appetite disappears or you've had a ferocious appetite for the past 35 years. And now all of a sudden you have control of it and all of a sudden the noise stops in your mind where you're not thinking about food or thinking about not eating food 24-7. You know, it, it really, really, really helps. Okay, look, uh, stay with us. I just want to put some of this uh, to our panel. Kieran, it's an incredibly complicated 
disease obesity. It's only in the last decade we've recognised it as an obese, as a disease. And you can hear Belinda saying, look, I have tried for 30 years to manage my weight and nothing else has worked. You can, you can understand why people want a solution, can't you? Uh, yeah, oh, sorry, absolutely. It, it's, it's interesting. There's, there's almost kind of two strands to this mm. debate or discussion. As, like Michael said, that they're the people who are suffering with obesity and need intervention, whether that's intervention of a medical nature, surgical, or whatever it happens to be. But the, the other strand as well that I don't think we should ignore are the people who are taking it to be skinny. You know, the people who, who are, they may be slim already, maybe they're slightly overweight, but whatever it happens to be, they don't need intervention. You know what I mean? That whatever they need, um, it, it's maybe like it's, it's a mental health intervention possibly. Um, and certainly like that's, that's, I'd have to bow to Michael's superior knowledge, you see, in dealing with <clears throat> obesity, but like in terms of the societal issues, like that's the one I'd be really worried about, is the amount of people who hear about celebrities, for example, taking it, you know, and talking about it openly, and Elon Musk talking about how shredded he is, you know, taking kind of uh, the, these types of drugs. And, um, and, and like that, they see it as a quick fix. And they see, they hear, when they hear the celebrity talk about it, I guess it's validation or it's, it, 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 it gives them a rationale to justify taking it themselves. And you know, and you see this in the men, young men as well in particular coming forward, not to be dismissive of, uh, of, of how many women go through with, uh, deal with eating disorders, but it was for a long time something that predominantly affected young women more than young men and now that kind of is beginning to balance out and unfortunately it's not balancing out because there's fewer young women coming forward it's more and more men as well. Yeah, I know that would be your concern too Sheila is people who are using it in the sort of the pursuit of this body ideal. We saw at the Oscars last night that there was a joke made around Ozempic wasn't there? Did this surprise you? Yeah, it, so it was the joke of the Oscars sponsored by Ozempic because everyone in Hollywood has mm -hmm. diabetes. And I mean, coming from my point of view where if when I heard that there was weight loss injections, there was a woman in work and she was speaking about it. And I stormed in and I said, another thing we have to deal with. So another thing mm -hmm. that those of us who are on the opposite side of, of this and we constantly feel like our bodies don't look good enough. I would never describe myself as a body positivity advocate because I'm not body positive. Um, and if you six years ago had presented this to me and it was available online as it is and as, as um, your cont contributor has said, I would have bought it, I would have spent every bit of money that I had on it. I did a sure detox teas were the thing when I, when I was getting into my disorder. But you, uh, something that made me really sad there that was said was, it silences the voice in your head. Mm. But it does that temporarily. It does that for a little while. In the same way as when I was in my disorder and so I would overexercise, that silenced the voice but for a have, little while. You have dealt with a, an eating disorder. Yes, yeah, so I'm in recovery from anorexia. Um, but I should say that before I got diagnosed with anorexia, I had multiple other diagnoses before, which weren't recognised because I didn't look sick. And, and I was actually relieved to hear um, you say that, you know, this has to, there has to be other, like a more holistic approach to it. But unfortunately, lots of the medical profession don't see it that way. And they don't see it as a holistic mm. approach. So uh, the opposite side of this is when I was in recovery and I was, you know, at my lowest I was put into hospital and made eat and I had to eat six times a day 
but I got no psychological intervention. And I said, so you're making me eat to get me medically well, but I'll go home and it's, you haven't <clears throat> convinced me that I should eat by myself. In the same way as the person loses the weight on the injections and feels good for a while, but you haven't asked them why they have a bad relationship with food or they emotionally eat. So to me, it doesn't fix the psychological. Now, do we have any sense of the number of people like Belinda who are going online and sourcing a drug like this themselves? No, we, ha we have absolutely no sense of it because, you know, you're, you're, there's people going online. Um, they're, they're, they're not having the support of um, their GP or their consultant. It's prescription medication. And um, as Belinda said, it was available to her. She was able to go online and get it from a Spanish doctor. And when we talk about eating disorders, normally we talk about people, um, and thanks to Sheila for sharing, because it's so important when people come forward and speak. Mm. But we've seen a huge spike in eating disorders since COVID. And in 2021, for example, there was 504 referrals um, to the eating disorder clinical programme. It fell about 20% last Last year, which was great to see. But, you know, when the clinical programme was first devised back in 2018, there was an acceptance at the time that there might be about 60 referrals a year and it has just spiked. But you also have to look at the, the challenges you have in relation to social media. So the first time I heard about this drug was on TikTok, for example, and it seems to be the buzzword at the moment. But to hear it spoken about at the Oscar ceremony, to see it being publicised, because obviously, look, I, I, I can take on board what Belinda's saying as well because Belinda obviously is challenged with her weight she wants to lose the seven stone she said she, she went to her GP mm. she was obviously seeking help and, yes. and it wasn't prescribed they felt it wasn't suitable for her Yes, but you see, I suppose that'll come back to, we'll defer to Dr. Crotty in relation to um, you know, from a medical intervention but I suppose, you know we are challenged at the moment. We talk about eating disorders I'm just, wondering, just, not, just to not, stick sorry, with Belinda's right, I'm just wondering what pathways are open to somebody like her? Well, in Ireland at the moment, um, it takes a while if you want to go and have bariatric surgery, for example. A while now, I think it takes up to yeah. an average five years for your first yeah. appointment. But I, That's I was, not a while. You hear Belinda saying she might I was listening look to Turkey I, or Lithuania. Com, coming up in the car tonight, I was actually listening to Dr. Donald O'Shea and he was speaking about it and he, they ha, there has been a breakthrough made. There will be 400 surgeries this year up to 1,200 by year three. So they are trying to make that breakthrough in relation to it. But the last and what will thing that you do want, to the waiting list? Well, it'll reduce the waiting list because otherwise pe people, were, people were forced to travel abroad and they weren't safe. But, but just when you say it'll reduce the waiting list, from five years to what? Well if, if, well, if you're starting from zero, it'll, you know, from a very low base and you're going to do 400 surgeries a year, it will certainly reduce the waiting list. But in fairness, when we speak about eating disorders, the majority of people focus on mm -hmm. um, young girls with anorexia and we've seen a huge spike there. When we talk about disordered eating, people don't always speak about, you know, people who are obese, people who are overweight. And we've seen a lot of people, you know, that are, are challenged with their, with their weight yeah. issues. What, what role is social media, do you think, Kira? and having and sort of shaping the narrative around body images. Oh, well, we know it, like, we know it kind of feeds into the whole body dysmorphia narrative, you know what I mean, and the reality of it for young people. And at least in, in like, Belinda's, and it's not to condone maybe or to suggest other people should be kind of buying stuff online, um, but at least she was getting a kind of a, a regulated European market. Like, the amount of young lads out there who are taking anabolic steroids that they buy online and God knows where they come from or what they're actually putting into their bodies, the same young lads as well will go out the weekend and 
they're not drinking pints because they're empty calories. They're snorting lines of coke. And again, why are they snorting? Why is there so much coke up and down this country uh, uh, being taken by young lads on weekends and young ones? It's because there's no empty calories in coke. They can have a good time, and it doesn't need to wait last, and they can be in the gym the next morning. Like it's it's all it, it all it's so distorted. Kind of forms part of this distorted picture around body that we have. Yeah, what do you think of somebody? And we're not <coughs> condoning what Belinda did, but it's her own story, and she's good enough to come on and share it. And it's probably representative of more people than we think in Ireland. What do you think when you hear people, you know, going on like like that and sourcing Ozempic? So I absolutely understand why people do. They're desperate. Mm. They're desperate for treatment. They're not getting the treatment that they need and deserve. Because in so many par places in Ireland, obesity is not recognised as a chronic disease. It's not treated like, as a chronic disease like we treat hypertension and asthma and COPD. Mm. Uh, whereas this is a very real and treatable medical condition. Uh, there is a, why is it not treated the same because across I think, the country? Uh, uh, because of lack of awareness, lack of knowledge about the complexity, uh, about the dysregulation of appetite, the genetic links, about the neurochemistry of what's going on, about the environmental factors that influence weight. People are told all you need to do is eat less and move more. Mm -hmm. uh, and with due respect to somebody with an eating disorder, that's like telling somebody with anorexia to just eat more. Like, it's a gross oversimplification. It's absolutely stigmatising. Uh, telling somebody who's got an issue with, with obesity uh, to eat less and move more is like telling somebody with depression to cheer up. It doesn't work. Uh, you, you know, blaming them, shaming them, backing them into a corner. People want treatment. They deserve treatment. They need treatment. They come to me uh, and you listen to their story and you listen to the effect that excess weight is having on their everyday life. And there's a difference between, you know, balking against diet culture and this kind of idea of body, of, of the perfect body uh, and what's being promoted. There's a difference between getting rid of that and we should be discouraging dieting because that is disordered eating, it is unhealthy, uh, it is not sustainable long term and it is not a treatment for excess weight. But there's a difference between denouncing diet culture but also providing support and treatment to somebody who's living with the chronic disease of obesity. Whether that's a surgical treatment, a pharmacotherapy, or the medical nutrition therapy, psychology supports, or, or life treatments. You know, we can use biological treatments to, to change. And uh, I suppose just, just to one point that came up as far as quietening the voice, uh, one of the most significant responses I see in patients that come and see me is they come back and they say they don't have this constant battle in their head around weight, around mm -hmm. food all day. They, their anxiety around food reduces. They, they're not trying to get through their day not eating. So actually people's relationship with food when they're treated appropriately uh, can improve. So is that why people find it so difficult to A, lose weight, but then to maintain that weight loss? So... Humans evolved to survive in a world where food is scarce. We're not supposed to lose weight. It is not natural for any healthy animal to lose weight. Within our subconscious brain, within the hypothalamus, we have a set point, a thermostat, a memory for weight, and our body will constantly defend our highest weight. 99% of people that I meet who are living with obesity have lost weight and lost huge amounts of weight repeatedly. And that weight comes back because they focused on, on kind of dieting, restrictive, unhealthy, uh, disordered eating. And in response to weight loss, our body changes the rules of the game. It increases hunger hormones, it reduces fullness hormones, it slows our metabolism, it upregulates the dopamine reward pleasure from food to get our weight to come back up. So it's not that people fall off the wagon or the diet stops working, it's that our biology changes to tilt the pitch against us to get our weight back up. 
And then the psychological impact on people of kind of constantly losing weight, regaining weight, and ending up at a higher weight. This is why, you know, so many people, we know that in 2015, 60% of the Irish population were living with overweight or obesity. It's not because they don't have willpower mm. motivation, it's they don't have treatment. Yeah, I think it's so interesting when you hear Dr. Crotty mm. uh, speaking and speaking with such insight into obesity, it makes me realise how few people probably get a Dr. Crotty when they walk into the door of a medical professional in this country, Sheila? Yeah, so I think it's something that it's so frustrating. You know, we, we talk there and I think people often will say, the only eating disorder we recognise is anorexia. Yeah. Well, I never would have got there if, if I hadn't been ignored with all my other disorders. I never would have gotten to anorexia if a medical professional hadn't turned to me and said, well, sure, you're very in proportion. Or, well, there's an easy solution. You just have your breakfast. So, like, you are the exception, unfortunately. And it's so annoying that I had to, and frustrating that I had to get to the point that I did. I ended up on one of these waiting lists. And, and then we have this conversation and it goes back to talking about obesity and I think, well, you don't know where you're also pushing that person towards. Are they going to end up like me in the spiral of orthorexia, ednos, bulimia, and then anorexia? You know, are they going to end up in this cycle? And then we then, as someone who has anorexia, you end up on that thing where you go, now I'm going to have to get rid of all my small clothes, get bigger again, and go back again. Like, it is constant battles in your head. Yeah, it makes me feel, Kieran, that really, as a society, we haven't come to terms with dealing with people's attitudes to, to weight and to weight management from whatever point of the scale you're coming to. No, and, like, look... And I, that like, noise, that, that phrase really stays with me, that noise in your head. Yeah. We don't still see it like that, do we? No, and, look, like, I, I have to bow to the superior knowledge of everybody else on this panel, but I have to say, like, I have two young kids, and they're... They're still very young, so I don't have to worry about this yet. But I kind of do dread a little bit as they get older, trying to trying to strike the right balance in terms of uh, fostering a positive relationship with food. When there's so many competing messages out there, you know what I mean. You 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 kind of you you hear the stats around obesity and overweight, sixty percent of the population, and you, obviously you want to kind of you 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 want to push them away in the opposite direction. But nor do you want to kind of to develop some sort of negative relationship. With it, I, look again. It's it's something we don't have to deal with yet, but it, it's genuinely something that I kind of am slightly terrified about in five or six years' time when I see one of them kind of pushing something away, and I realise they're doing that not because they don't want to eat it, but because see, they think okay, they shouldn't eat it. Do you ex accept, though, what Dr. Crotty said, uh, Mary Butler, that? You know, the attitude is not the same. The service, the response from medical professionals is not the same across the country, that we don't perhaps know how to treat um, weight management issues properly yet. Yeah, well, I would bow to, to Dr Crotty's, um, you know, um, his experience and his opinion on this, because I suppose we're only really putting in place over the last five years, when we talk about eating disorders, you know, they can be some of the most severe mental health conditions. And we have been putting in place, I have since I came in three years ago, have funded nine, um, you know, eating disorder teams. We have to get to 18 teams. But, you know, I suppose what was a nice focus on the conversation tonight is that normally when we talk about eating disorders, we always talk about somebody who might have had anorexia nervosa. It can take up to seven years to recover. But we have to talk about the obesity challenges as well. And that's not something that we that often gets a lot of airplay. It's normally, you know, we speak an awful lot about people well, I think we probably should be speaking about, about all of those conditions. Um, I just want to go back to you, Dr Crotty. There is an assumption when we talk about a drug like this that it works for everyone, yeah. does it? No. So we're all unique in our biology, we're unique in our genetics, our physiology and our experiences. Not everybody responds. Maybe 50% of people will get a, a good response from the medication, 50% won't. 
with bariatric surgery, 80 or 90% of people will get a good response, 10 to 20% won't. Can with you stay on life it for intervention, life? So with these medications, you have to. Mm. So, so that's, that, that's the thing. Okay. You know, this is all about knowledge and information. Uh, it's about education, healthcare professionals. And to be fair, the Irish College of General Practice uh, are absolutely engaged on increasing the awareness, mm. increasing education, because people are coming to their doctors, like Belinda said, looking for this treatment. We need to empower doctors. I didn't learn about this in medical school or in, in my GP education. This is kind of self-directed learning. Well, who takes the lead on that? Who takes the lead? So the GPs themselves, GPs and, and healthcare professionals, they want to help their patients. There's just a blind spot and a lack of knowledge. To increase the awareness in society that this, if somebody's living with obesity, it's not their fault. They're not doing anything wrong. Uh, this is a genuine medical condition. It's complicated. They need support right. and treatment. Uh, and then the healthcare pr practitioners need to be supported also. All right, look, we're going to have to leave it uh, there. Just to let you know at home, you can contact helplines on virginmediatelevision.ie forward slash helplines. My thanks to uh, Dr. Crotty for coming into us this evening and to uh, Belinda for speaking to us from home. The rest of the panel are going to be staying with me. And after the break, US President Joe Biden says he intends to visit Ireland and that SNL skit. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. You're very welcome back. Well, Gary Lineker is to return to presenting sport on the BBC after he was taken off air for criticising the language used by ministers when discussing the UK government's asylum policy. Tim Davey, the Director-General of the BBC, apologised on Monday for the widespread disruption to sports programming over the weekend, and he announced an independent review of the corporation's internal social media guidelines. Well, for more on this, journalist Ender Brady joins me from London. So Gary Lineker was tweeting about this, saying, you know, they had come to a resolution, but really, did the BBC just back down here? Yeah, look, I think it's Lineker 1, BBC 0 tonight. That's the final score in all of this. And I think my question, Kira, would be how long more the Director General, Tim Davies, stays in that job. I mean, it's been a disastrous few days. Gary Lineker there has run rings around the BBC management. I think they really badly played their hand last week and they didn't realise just how well-connected Lineker is, how popular he is. And as soon as Ian Wright rolled in behind Lineker, that really was the end for BBC management. Ian Wright, very influential character, wonderful human being. And then one by one, you saw people like Alan Shearer, Alex Scott, all say that they were stepping back from presenting in support and in solidarity with Lineker. So it's been a terrible few days for BBC management. Um, what reputational damage 
has been done to the BBC, do you think? Because there are real questions, and I think very valid questions being asked about what impartiality truly means to the corporation. Does it just mean that if you're on air in the BBC, you can't be seen to criticise the government, but it's OK to support them? Well, look, I think you'd have to ask questions of the Director General and the Chairman of the BBC as well, Richard Sharp. So he's a government appointee. He personally helped sort out a loan facility for Boris Johnson when they were worried about, when Johnson was Prime Minister, they were concerned that he may not have enough money left to pay his tax bill. So Richard Sharp introduced him to someone who facilitated uh, an £800,000 loan, and the end result was a few weeks later, Richard Sharp becomes Chairman of the BBC. And if you take the Director General, Tim Davey, he was a Conservative candidate in the 90s. So it's fascinating that, you know, you ask the question, have they been leaned on by the Conservative government here to basically oust Lineker or to take him to task? So the reputational damage, I would say, Lineker comes out of this a complete hero. And I think the, tomorrow's newspapers will really kind of reflect that. And you would have to ask the question, how much longer Davy stays as director general and Sharp stays as chairman? Amid sort of the, the circus that we've seen over the last couple of days, was there any debate about the policy at the very centre of this, the stop the boats policy? Do you think there's still widespread support for that in the UK? Look, I think the, the government has got itself into a complete mess here. Of course, the big headline that didn't really get covered that much last week because of all this, because of the Lineker BBC row, was that Rishi Sunak sat down with Emmanuel Macron, first meeting between all of the, the government leaders between the UK and France in five years. I mean, this whole situation, 46,000 men, women and children came to the UK in those dinghies last year. And it's taken five years for the governments to sit around the table the end result of which was Rishi Sunak agreeing to give the French government upwards of half a billion sterling to try and sort everything out. So that has been very conveniently not covered and the Lineker story has been on the front page. Yeah. But I think going forward, Lineker will probably take a step back on social media until the BBC come out with some guidelines. And it's interesting that the use of the word guidelines, I was at Sky for two decades, we were given rules. <laughs> you were told what you could and couldn't say, and yeah. it worked. All right, I think he breached those guidelines already. I think he uh, continued his support uh, of um, asylum seekers in a tweet uh, today, so this will certainly go on and on. Uh, and Brady, we'll have to leave it there. Thanks, Kira. Thanks, as always. Just a bit of breaking news this evening uh, coming into us. US President Joe Biden says he does intend to visit Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland. He was speaking in California at a press conference with UK Prime Minister Rishi Sunak. It has been widely reported that the president would make a visit to mark the 25th anniversary of the Good Friday Agreement. And we are still to hear the dates for the visit, but we will bring those to you as soon as we get confirmation. Uh, moving on. Colin Farrell has responded to a controversial skit on Saturday Night Live that portrayed him and his banshees of Inishir and co-star Brendan Gleeson. Airing in the US on Saturday night, the controversial sketch used what many viewers deemed offensive Irish stereotypes. It was a three and a half minute skit, presented uh, the pair as an unintelligible pair with an incomprehensible accent. The punchline of the joke was that they hadn't even started drinking yet. Minister Butler, President of the Hard Shoulder News Talk here in Cuddy and Head of News at Tip FM, Sheila Naughton, are still here. But first, let's just take a look at a short clip from that sketch. Hello. How do you guys 
like your chances tonight? Uh, you know, that's the words and, you know, like, uh, taint words are troops for where and you'll be. Hey, me green, 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 pure tarry, swiddle, toony trees in it, C-A-A. Wow, and they haven't even started drinking yet. <laughs> Right, Sheila, I'm going to come to you first. There were further sort of jokes made at the Oscars last night about the Irish. Tell us about those as well. Yeah, so it was jokes about that there would be fighting because the Irish were there. They made specific reference to Dublin fighting as well. I mean, the donkey was brought on stage. Um, I, I, to be honest, if I was Colin Farrell, I'd be more insulted that they thought that fella looked like me because he's far better looking. But um, there's lots of things wrong with this. I don't think we need to be offended by it because often what I, I love offensive humour. But this is actually just unintelligent humour. Mm. So it's that they had no idea where to go and how to actually get the Irish in a niche way. So they went, right, we'll go with the stereotypes and we'll go down that route and sure, the Americans love that without any kind of actual thought about it. Yeah, but just to be clear, Colin Farrell, because another question was put to him by um, Jimmy uh, Kemmel, the presenter last night, who said, um, you know, people want to know what are you saying in that movie? And you could tell because he referred to the SNL skit that he was offended. I think he actually came back with a more intelligent um, response than their humour was in the first place. But I think, and, and something I was thinking, I, I actually studied drama and theatre myself, so I love the arts and I love what we do in Ireland in terms of our arts and culture. And it makes a mockery of something that we... Uh, uh, I know it's a bit marmite at times, but a movie that has been so applauded, that has been so loved and is hugely successful. So it's making a, a mockery of our culture. And you have, to, you have to ask, who has the right to make those jokes? I mean, we were talking about eating disorders earlier. I can joke about my eating disorder all I like. But I mean, Kieran and Mary start doing it and I might be like, oh, OK, who has the right to make that joke? making the joke. Yeah. And Mary Butler, what did you think? I was disgusted. It's not my type of humour at all. Um, I, I, I have to say, when I saw it, I just thought it was disparaging. I thought it was just, you know, this, is, this was our week going to the Oscars. Like, you know, the Irish were, were, were owning the Oscars. Now, we might not have owned it last night. We got two Oscars, but maybe we expected to get more. But at the but same time... we were time, full of pride. We were we? full of pride. Uh, and, and I have to say, you know, to hear, you know, uh, and Colleen Kuhn being mentioned at the Oscars, I just thought... I was bursting with pride. I was bursting with pride from Carrie Crowley from Waterford. And to see that young girl in her beautiful dress, we were all full of pride. And I just thought it was... There was no need for it. Absolutely no need for it. And then I have to say, you were after really hitting a, a really good point when you said, like, um, you know, about the sobriety issue in, 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 in relation mm. to Colin Farrell. Colin Farrell was there with his 13-year-old son and I did not get the jokes at all. Yeah, and he definitely didn't because he has mm. spoken openly about mm. his own issues with alcohol and he has been sober for a long time uh, Absolutely. Now. And he found it yeah. extra offensive, you know, I think. And I just thought as well, because it's St Patrick's Week and everybody wants to put on the green gansy mm. this week, you know, all over the world we'll see green parades, we'll see buildings lit up green, we'll see rivers we'll see turn green. we see people pissed all over Dublin City. Yeah, yeah. I might come in with yeah. that yeah. point, Kira. Yeah, no, we will. No, everyone wants to be Irish this week and I just did not like okay. it. OK, Kieran. I just, I think, you know, the criticism of it is completely legitimate. Like, it's just not funny. Like, that's the main problem with it. It's just not very funny. And it's not original. No, it's not original. But I mean, I think that this, those stereotypes are a price we have to pay given how much we lean into some elements, those elements of Irish culture. How do Joe, we lean we in? You talked about Joe Biden we coming here. We shouldn't have to pay Joe, that price. Joe Biden, we're, we're going to bring 
your government are going to bring Joe Biden. They'll organize it that Joe Biden goes to the Guinness storehouse or he'll be in a pub. There will be a pint of Guinness. It was the same when President Obama was here. It's the same when there's any state visitor here. We even did it to the Queen. We tried to shove a pint of Guinness into her hand. Prince Philip was the only one, I think, who'd pick it up. So we do that. We talked about, like, the fight in Irish, like, as in the, the, the fighting Irish, like, at Notre Dame. It's literally a leprechaun with his fists up. Yet we lean into it when we're there. They're coming over here, big um, U.S. collegiate um, uh, American football game coming up later this year. The biggest movement of, of, of US citizens outside of wartime. And we're going to talk that up. Like, well, that's, we talk tour about, that's tourism as well. No, you know? I know. And that's no, a lot of money. Need, but we that's need a it. Lot but Mary, money, we lead into lot, it for tourism. And yeah. we're going to send, and those American tourists, when they come here, where are we going to send them? We're going to send them to the Guinness storehouse in Temple Bar. We talk up as a great business success yeah, story. Writing, we talk about Irish whiskey we're, sales, we're, which are a great success story. We're entitled to be proud of our heritage. But we don't have to have a skit made of it. But you, can't, may, you they, can't lean into the I alcohol know, like, and then expect people not to kind of take the mick a little you know bit what? at the same time. I just think Alan Farrell, I just think he had he had every right to be disgusted with that. He was Colin over Farrell. Th- sorry, yes. Colin Farrell. He was think, over there with his son. He was representing his country. Do you know what I mean? But, OK, I, but do you not accept that what Kieran says is that perhaps we here in Ireland, we feed the clichés too. Uh, look, when, when you hear them putting on that 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 Arabigara accent, there's absolutely no need for it. I just, my my idea of satire must be, or, or, or mm. something that's funny must be different to other people's. I was just disgusted with it. Do you think there are people who, in America particularly, who really still view Irish people as you know the drunken fighting Irish, the the louts, or do you think they see it as sort of this this skit, this parody? But it isn't a real reflection of who we are in the country. Otherwise, they wouldn't come here in their droves. No, I used to work in a in a city centre hotel in Dublin during my college years, and when the Americans came in, they used to say, "Oh my God, an Irish girl, brilliant!" <laughs> and they wanted me to play the Irish girl. And as you said, well, I did it for the tips. Um, <laughs> and what, what I, do you mean you by know, play the Irish girl? Yeah, what is they wanted that? me to make the jokes like an Irish person person would make and be a little bit cheeky and be a bit funny and I mean I'm all those things anyway but no uh, but no they wanted me to, to to play up to it and maybe I did but part of me is thinking but I have ownership of that like that's that is you know I'm allowed to but do can that. you do both that, and, I think that's the point yeah and, and so it's just to kind of I suppose play on, on what you're saying of like like I'm allowed to do that but then I also wonder are they targeting it at their audience like their SNL I mean unless we look it up on YouTube we don't see it or unless it goes viral we don't see it so they're going what do the Americans want they want this so again Again, I'm thinking it's their audience that's probably the problem because they like that comedy. Oh, their audience has a poor sense of humour. It wasn't particularly funny. I think that's the ultimate thing. It just wasn't really funny. It wasn't funny. It wasn't funny. It wasn't funny. It wasn't funny. It was our Oscars this weekend. We're much funnier than that. I'd just like to be clear. All right, we have to leave it there. My thanks to Mary, Kieran, and to Sheila for coming in to us this evening. After the break, we have some top tips from mortgage broker Keen Carlin. Finance Ireland has become the latest home loan provider to increase the interest rate on its fixed mortgage products in response to rising ECB policy rates. For more on this, I'm joined by Head of Mortgages at Finance One Limited, Kean Carlin. You're very welcome uh, back to the programme, uh, Kean. Um, since you were last in here in October, that's five, nearly six months ago, how many interest rate rises have we seen from the ECB? We've seen we've we've seen somewhere in the region of four to five rate increases. Another to come this Thursday. They're pricing in another further half a percent rate increase this coming Thursday, and it's expected that we'll have a further half a percent above and beyond that. 
probably May time, I think, is when they meet again after um, this week. So they're coming thick and fast at the minute. Most lenders have moved on rate since I was in here on the 18th of October last. And moved significantly, obviously. Yeah, hugely so. So if I look at interest rates that I could have gotten at the time, to be honest, I drew down the in around the time I was last on at a rate of 2.55%. And we're seeing interest rates as of today, upwards of five, nearly 6% in some cases. So um, it's, so it's it's a vastly and rapidly changing uh, landscape at the minute. Yeah, like Finance Ireland, I would have known people who drew down mortgages with Finance Ireland back last year. I think they paid around 2.3%. Their fixed rate, their lowest fixed is now 6%. It's a massive jump for people. It's huge. So um, if you take, say, a 300,000 euro mortgage, 30 year term at 2.3%, you're probably somewhere in the region of 1,050 to 1,100 quid a month. You're now looking at at 6%, you're upwards of 1,900 a month. So it's really significant and uh, it doesn't look like it's stopping. I know that sounds really negative, but it's something that we all have to get into our psyche that the days of the low rates are gone for now. Uh, however long that lasts, we don't know. But Finance Ireland are the first to get into the sixes. Mm they're not going to be the last and that's it's probably you feel a lot of the even the main lenders will follow suit almost certainly yeah now I mean Finance Ireland they've kind of a more challenged funding model than say the pillar banks um, and so the pillar banks haven't had to move as rapidly and as drastically as say Finance Ireland have um, but almost certainly by the end of the year it's expected that the lowest rate in the market will be a five percent or higher rate and that's for a fixed rate mortgage. Fixed rate, yeah. There's been less movement on the variable rate um, as yet. Uh, that's likely to follow. But at the minute, I mean, upwards of 90% of mortgages drawn down last year were fixed rate mortgages. So that's really the market there, you know. Yeah, there's a real panic, I think, for people out there who are trying to secure a mortgage at the moment because it's not something you can do overnight, is it? It's certainly not, no. So naturally enough, we all wanted to happen yesterday. Uh, and unfortunately, with there being fewer lenders in the market um, and still a relentless level of demand out there, uh, turnaround times are pretty poor by and large. So, um, you know, you might start a process even to switch your mortgage today and you'd be lucky if you have it done by August, like in reality. And it does, does probably one or two exceptions to that who might get these things through a bit quicker but by and large you're entering into a minimum four month process and at it, that point are you going to be stuck with the march increase and the may increase if you don't um secure this until august oh yeah no definitely yeah, the rate is the rate on the day you draw down so you might get a bit of protection when you get advanced into the process with a full loan offer uh, but up until then you're subject to fluctuation now for the last decade, that's worked to our benefit um, it, when we were in a reducing interest rate environment. But um, for the foreseeable, it's not going to work to the consumer's advantage whatsoever. Um, if people are looking to um, take out or draw down a mortgage now, how long should they fix for? That's a big question. Three, five, ten, if you can still get ten from your provider? That's an impossible question. <laughs> I, <laughs> well, I'm, I'm putting you on the spot, <laughs> Kate. <laughs> <laughs> it's my job. Um, but look, it's... I suppose in the current environment, almost the longer you can fix, the longer you're sheltered from the volatility that's likely to be there. What I would say to put a you know a slightly positive slant on things is that while we are still in the thick of an interest rate rise or rising interest rate environment, it is hoped that maybe by Q1 2023, 
2024. So next January, February, that rates might have peaked, um, at which point we might start to see rates very gradually granted, but start to, to go down on the decline as well. But I would say, look, you know, gener- generally, you, you probably want to fix ideally for five or more years, but it's very difficult to say. It's case by case, really. Um, for those people who've seen their tracker mortgage or their variable, you know, go up over the last um, number of months and maybe find themselves unable to pay their mortgage now, what support is there for them? The mortgage MABS, the mortgage arrears uh, board there, the, that's there to help people. Your lender, first and foremost, should be the first port of call for this and they will undoubtedly work with you. So I'd call your lender, get some advice from them. They'll agree, they'll agree some sort of um, term arrangement facility that might just push things out, buy you a bit of time while things are on the more expensive side of things. You know? Okay, but, very briefly, Silicon Valley Bank closed hmm. today. Do you think that might have any impact on the ECB rise on Thursday? I doubt it. I doubt it. I mean, I've, I've read into a little bit around this over the last right. 24 hours. I don't think so, no. So 0.5% will go ahead. I all right, we so, leave yeah. it there. Uh, thanks for coming into us this evening, Keen, and to all of my guests for joining me on The Tonight Show. Our programme is available as a podcast on all major platforms, and you can also find us on Instagram and TikTok tonight, VMTV. But from all the late team here, good night to you all, and do take care. This Mother's Day, treat mom to healthy, glowing skin with Osea's limited edition skincare sets. Osea has been making clean, seaweed-infused products for nearly 30 years. Their advanced eye care duo brightens and firms skin around your eyes, while the Golden Glow Body Trio nourishes and smooths skin all over. Go to oseamalibu.com and use code MOM for 10% off your first order site-wide.